some anthems are kind of light and sweet like a good dessert, and then some are just meaty like a big old steak. And that was one of those, one of those meaty anthems. I love that. Great. Um, I want to invite you to turn to Luke 13, if you will, this morning. While you're turning there, let me say a word of welcome to anyone who is listening to us by live stream today. If you could see me, I would be waving at you can't see me, so just trust that I'm glad that you're listening with us today. Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. At that very same hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, go and tell that fox for me, listen. I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a gathers her brood under her wings, yet you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, in addition to the welcome, I always also want to say happy St. Patrick's Day to and I see a lot of green out there. And uh, But today is a special day for me. This is different from every St. Patrick's Day I've ever had my whole life long. And it's all because of something my sister did a couple of months ago. And if she was here, she would tell you that I often blame things on my sister. And uh, But this is really her fault. She got one of those uh, ancestry DNA things and got, you know, with the little thing that gives you Q-tip and just wipe your cheek and you put it in mail it off. And it turns out, we found out that we're 29% Irish. So, top of the morning to all of y'all. <laughs> I always wanted to say that. 29%. <coughs> yeah. Well, listen, you do remember who the actual historic Patrick, St. Patrick, was, don't you? He lived in 5th century Britain, and he was kidnapped when he was 16 years old by some Irish pirates, and they took him to Ireland and held him as a slave. He was sold off, and he worked on a farm with animals uh, as a slave for, for six years until he got old enough and figured out a way to escape from slavery, and he made his way back to his family in Britain. And after a while, he became a priest, and one day, he told his friends and his family, I'm going back to Ireland to be a missionary there. Wow. To, to go back to a place that had mistreated you and held you as a slave to serve as a missionary, I can just imagine what his friends and family must have said. I can imagine his friends coming to him and say, hey, look, Patrick, we love you, man, but you're going back to a place where they held you as a slave? How is that going to work out for you? I can hear his family, his mom taking him aside and saying, Listen, son, this could be dangerous. This might not work out like you think. 
in the world would you want to do that? Why, Patrick? And I don't know that he said this, but I can just imagine him saying, I'm going because that's where God is calling me to go. The love of God is compelling me to go to Ireland. Ireland was Patrick's Jerusalem because that's where he set his face and that's where he was going to go and nobody could stop him. And that's where he was going to spend his life and that's where he was going to die on March the 17th. Ireland was his Jerusalem. And I want to say today that Every one of us needs a Jerusalem. We all need something that we're headed toward. We all need to journey toward Jerusalem. And here's what I mean when I say that. And by the way, if you are a type of person who likes to follow along with outlines inside the newsletter stuff from your bulletin, you'll find an outline, uh, and you can follow along that way. What do I mean when I say headed toward Jerusalem? I mean headed toward Jerusalem means moving toward a kingdom goal. Do you know where you're moving toward? I read a study about a famous research project that was done long ago back with a graduating class of 1953 of Yale University. Anybody here from the graduating class of 1953 from Yale University? Okay, I guess I can keep on with this story then. Um, but some researchers got together the graduating class and asked them who has definite goals that you want for your life and a plan for how to get there. And it turns out that only 3% of that graduating class had definite goals and a plan on how to get there and had them written down somewhere. Okay, fast forward 20 years, 1973, the same group of researchers got the same group of people together, the not, not class of 1953, to see how they were doing. And you probably already see where this is going. That 3% that had some goals that they knew where they were headed and they had a plan for how to get there were doing better than the, all the other 97% put together. Not only were they more successful, not only were they more well off, but they were more happy with their lives and more satisfied with their lives because it's important to know where you are going. So what does all that have to do with Jerusalem and Jesus? Well, if you back up a couple of chapters from where we read uh, in Luke 13 this morning, if you back up to chapter 9, you read one of the most important verses in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 9:51. It says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew he, where he was going, and he knew why. And he knew that he was going there because God wanted him to, and nothing, nothing was going to stop him. So, let me ask you a personal question. What do you have your face set toward? You say, well, does it really matter that much? Where my face is set? Does it really matter what my goals are? And of course it does, because there are some things that we make as a focus of our attention and set our face toward some goals that we set that are just really not healthy for our souls. We know that. We know that if we have our face set toward just, just goals of wealth and power and accumulation that it is possible, it is possible to gain the whole world and lose your own soul. 
And we know that we can set our face only toward the goals of, of just being entertained, right? The pleasure and entertainment and just the next good time. And we will discover if that's where we set our face that you can, you know, you can have a pretty good time. But at the end of the day, you'll feel like an empty shell because it just doesn't amount to very much. So it matters. It matters. It also matters for those of us who have said in our hearts that we want to follow Jesus. Some may still be trying to decide, and that's okay. We welcome everybody, even those who, who have some doubts. But for those who have already made that decision, I, I want to go where Jesus went. I want to follow him. Then we have to kind of examine our goals, don't we? We kind of have to interrogate them and ask them some questions. So we'll ask them some questions this morning. We'll ask, is, is, is our goal kingdom-oriented? I mean the kingdom of God. I'm thinking about the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7. And there was a place in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus was talking to some people who were obviously worried about just, just everyday living. And Jesus said, look at the birds. Consider the birds. Uh, your heavenly Father feeds them. They're not worried about where they're going to eat. Consider the lilies of the field. How beautiful they look. They look more beautiful than the finest clothing that any king could wear. And then he goes on to say in Matthew 6, 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So stuff shouldn't be our goal, but the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Kingdom-oriented, not things-oriented. And then we ask ourselves another question about our goals. We, we ask, is, is our goal Christ-centered? Are we going to be about what Christ was about? Are we going to be doing what Christ said he was here to do? There are places in the Bible where Jesus just comes out and says, here's why I'm here. This is what I came to do. And it seems to me that if Jesus is just blunt enough to say, this is why I came, that we ought to be smart enough to listen and see what it is. John 10, 10 is one of those places. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said, the reason I'm here is so people can have life. And not just existence, not just any old life, but abundant life. And so followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus. If this is what Jesus was about, then this is what we need to be about. Helping people have life and abundant life. This is the Jerusalem that we set our face toward. This is what we're here to do. And what does that look like, helping people have abundant life? Well, maybe it will start this way. Maybe if someone is hungry, abundant life for them is going to start when we help them get something to eat. Maybe if somebody is cold and needs a warm coat, their abundant life is going to start when we help get them warm. And maybe if somebody's lonely, maybe their abundant life is going to start when we spend some time with them and keep them company. Maybe if somebody's looking for community, it's going to be when we invite them into a community and let them be a part of it, welcome them in to a small group study or to a Sunday school class or Maybe we just get together and go for a hike together. Abundant life. 
That's why Jesus is here. That's why we're here. So the third thing we ask of our goal is if it's passion-filled. You see, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. His passion overflowed, and he he felt so deeply about those that he loved. It, you remember when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he fell on his face before God. He was he had tears. He had sweat drops of blood. His passion overflowed. He gave his life for those that he loved. You can hear his passion in verse 34. We read just a little bit earlier. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. So let me ask you something this morning. Is there anything that you're moving toward right now, that you've set your face toward right now, that is kingdom-oriented, that's Christ-centered, and that fills you with enough passion that you're willing to act even if you get rejected? You're willing to risk. You're willing to move even in the face of possible rejection. And that's the next thing about headed toward Jerusalem. It means going even when you risk possible rejection. Jesus knew that he was headed to a place that stoned the prophets and killed people that God sent to take a message. He knew that he was going to face that rejection and he went anyway. His rejection came both directly and indirectly. It came directly in that people were literally trying to kill him. The Pharisees came up to him at the beginning of this passage and said, Herod is trying to kill you. That wasn't the first time, by the way, when Jesus preached his first sermon in his hometown of Nazareth. He finished the sermon, rolled up the scroll, and then they tried to throw him off a cliff and kill him. Now, I've preached a lot of sermons over 30-plus years of ministry, and I'm sure some of them were duds. But nobody's tried to throw me off a cliff yet. Yet, I said. Maybe that's why I'm not serving up on Nakalula Mountain. So they might try to throw me off the falls or something, but... Jesus preached a sermon one time and had a crowd there. In John chapter 6, he had a crowd there. And he preached a sermon. And what he said was so difficult for them to hear that after he finished preaching, everybody got up and left. And he looked at his 12 disciples and said, Are you going to leave too? And Peter said, Where else can we go? You have the words of life. He even faced... Rejection by his inner circle, if you remember, Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver. So just about every kind of direct rejection you could imagine Jesus faced. And then there's the more painful rejection, I think. The even more painful rejection that's indirect. And it's subtle, but it hurts so badly when people just don't care. When they just don't care. Jesus longed. He longed to gather the people of Jerusalem to him as a mother hen would gather chicks under her wings. But they just didn't care. I think about whenever I look at all the different crosses that we have around here. And we remember about the cross. We sing about the cross. And I remember the cruelty of the cross and the pain and the scars.
scourging that Jesus took the stripes on his back and the crown of thorns that he had on his head and how terrible all of that was. And then I remember that Jesus wept before any of that. He wept thinking of his offer of love that would be rejected by those who didn't care. But he kept on. He kept on pressing toward the goal and nothing was going to stop him. Not the Roman soldiers, not Herod, not the Sanhedrin, not the crowd, not the cross, and not even the grave. Because he had his face set toward Jerusalem. 